Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners once again. Wonderful to be here to once again have the opportunity to open up God's Word, dig a little bit deeper into those rich teachings and truths. How blessed we are to have the Bible. Boy, just the best book that has ever been written. By far, hands down, no comparison. In fact, did you know that the Bible is the number one bestseller in this country every single year? You don't see that on the bestseller lists, do you? Well, it always is. They just don't they just don't record that statistic anymore on a common basis. They talk about all the other books that are written, but the Bible is always, hands down, the number one bestseller every single year. Why do you suppose that is? It's the best book that's ever been written. It's the most important book that's ever been written. It's the most influential book that has ever been written. It is God's Word. That's why it is so important. That's why it is so popular. That's why it is so influential. That's why it's the best-selling book every single year. And how people need to not only own a Bible, but how, how they need to read the Bible. We say this over and over and over and over and over again, and Our regular listeners may know pretty much what I'm about to say when it comes to faith, and that is that faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So in order for people to have faith, real faith, saving faith, they've got to get into God's Word. That's where it begins. Some people have the feeling that faith just kind of happens, or that faith is something that kind of strikes them, perhaps, unaware, or that faith is a gift from God. Well, if it's a gift from God, why doesn't everybody have faith? God is totally good, and he wants all of us to be with him in heaven for eternity. So I don't believe we should understand that he gives faith to some people, but not to others, withholds it from others. No, no, that's not the way it is. Again, He gave us the biblical formula for developing faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. And that's one of the big reasons why this program is so important. When we come together, we don't just talk about the Bible. We study the Bible. We teach the Bible. We help you understand what the scriptures really say. Search the scriptures. That's the name of the program. and That's exactly what we do on the program every day. We try to help you come closer to God by helping you strengthen your faith. Maybe some of you need to develop your faith to begin with and then let it get strengthened. We have to get into God's word for all of that to happen. And then as your faith becomes strong enough and committed enough and convicting enough, then you need to come to that point where you make up your mind that you're going to come to God all the way, his way. Through Jesus Christ, his son, your Lord and Savior, as you act upon your faith, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ openly, and surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins. The blood that he shed on the cross so long ago is still 100% absolutely effective to continue to cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. But you've got to come to him his way. And so as you're forgiven 
through the waters of baptism, by the blood of Christ shed on the cross so long ago, you're made new. You're born again. You get a new beginning, a do-over in life. And now you've got new hope. You've got new direction, heaven itself. You've got, again, that new hope of expectation of eternal life with God in heaven. That comes by searching the scriptures. We want to help you get to heaven. At the end of the program, we'll tell you how you can contact us, jot down that information, and we'd love to send you a free Bible study, and it is right from the scriptures. It will teach you about God. It will teach you about Christ. It will teach you about heaven. It will teach you also about the dangers of following the ways of the devil. And it will teach you about forgiveness and salvation, about the church, about Christian living, and about eternal life. It's free. It's always free. We always offer it free. And we'll even take care of the postage. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready. And at the end of the program, jot down that information. And then contact us and ask for the free Bible study. We'll even take care of the postage. And again, you can receive a copy of today's program on CD, also just for the asking, and we'll take care of the postage. Today we're going to get back into a study that we began last time entitled, Everything Changed One Day. In our introductory program to this particular study, we talked about Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And mostly, we talked about, oh, verses 26 through 28 in Genesis chapter 1, but we did go back a little bit further, just in brief, and talked about how in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the six days of creation. God created everything that we see in this world around us. All the life that's on this earth, we, God created during those six days. When he comes to verse 26, he he comes to a very special, I would say his most special and most unique creation, and that is mankind. In verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we understood, we pointed out that how God made us in his image is that he made us with a soul, an eternal soul, with a spiritual being within us. And in that, he made us unique from everything else that he had created, all other life. Only in reference to man did he say, let us make him in our image. Only let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now, as I pointed out, he's not talking about physical appearance here, I don't believe, because God is spirit, and we are flesh. We're physical beings. So it's in the sense that God is spirit, and he created a spirit within us, or us with a spirit within, a soul, again, that is eternal. That's how he made us different and unique from everything else. And it is in that quality that he said, and I believe we should understand it this way, 
let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he put all of the rest of the life that he had created under our dominion. And I believe we're to understand because he made only us in his likeness, according to his likeness in his image, spiritual beings with a soul that is eternal. Now we went through kind of a brief reference in Genesis chapter 2 where we read about how God took the man and placed him in a garden. The garden in Eden as it is identified in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. And verse 9 says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now those two trees stood in stark contrast to one another. The tree of life was a truly life-sustaining tree, the fruit of which, as long as man would continue to eat of it, would sustain their physical lives forever. In contrast, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brought all the realities of sin and evil and wickedness, including death, into the consciousness and reality of mankind. And so God forbade man from eating the fruit of that tree, but he gave him the opportunity to continually eat the, of the fruit of the tree of life. Now then, God warned man in verse 17 but of the tree, well, let's go back to verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so the death penalty came with the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, someone might say, well, why did God even let that tree be in the garden? Why didn't he just have the tree of life there and then all of the other fruit trees and, and food-producing trees and plants? Why did he even allow that tree of knowledge of good and evil to be there? Well, he created us with a soul again. He created us with the understanding, the ability to recognize right from wrong and good from evil and righteousness from unrighteousness and wickedness from goodness. He did not create us, did not program us as robots or automatons or androids so that we could only do what was right. He created us with a moral compass so that we can understand the difference between right and wrong and godliness and ungodliness. And so we have a choice. We are, as it is called in technical terms, free moral agents. God has given us the opportunity to live with him forever. But he's also made us with the ability to choose to sin, to rebel against God. Now that's unrighteousness, that's wickedness, that's godly, ungodliness, that is evil. But he made us with the ability to not only 
understand the difference, but to make our own choices. He did not program us so that we could not do wrong. He created us with a soul to recognize good from evil and right from wrong. And he placed the responsibility upon us to choose the right over the wrong and the good over the evil. Now then we saw that God allowed the man to name all the animals and there was nothing that was found that was comparable to the man. No other created animal that was suitable for man as a companion, as the close kind of soulmate, we might say, companion that man needed. And that should not be surprising because only man was created with a soul. Only man was created in the image of God. Man was unique from everything else that God had created. So God went back into the creating business and he made woman. He made woman from one of the ribs from the man's own body. And God brought her to the man. And so she was created in the same image of God that the man was created in. And when God brought her to the man, there's the institution of marriage right there. And it's male and female, and only male and female. And verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the text says, and they shall become one flesh. And oh, how wonderful it must have been in that garden. What life must have been like. And it's just, to me, it's fascinating and intriguing to think about the tree of life being there. And as long as they would continue to eat the fruit of that tree, they could live on this earth forever. God designed it with that possibility. No sin, no evil in the world, no unrighteousness. What must life have been like in that garden? And then we come to Genesis chapter 3. And the title of this study, Everything Changed One Day. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the devil popping up his ugly head. He takes the form of a serpent. Beginning with verse 1, we read, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, and she was referring to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And that's exactly what he said back in chapter 2 in verse 17. You see, that brings the reality of sin, and sin brings death. Verse 5 goes on and says, for God knows, I'm sorry, verse 4 goes on and says, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree desirable to make one wise, oh, how the devil had hoodwinked Eve, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Oh, my. They disobeyed God. They ate of the one tree, the only tree, that God had forbidden them to eat of. The tree, to make them wise? No, no. How foolish they were to disobey God and eat of that fruit. But you see, the devil is slick in his temptations. Pleasant to the eyes? Well, the devil knows how to make evil look pleasant. But notice that he told her that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, can you imagine some of the thoughts that must have gone through Eve's mind as she was processing what the devil just told her? Going to be like God. Could you imagine her thinking that, I'll be like God? And she could think of all the powers that God had demonstrated She could think about his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature, perhaps, and maybe that's what kind of grabbed her, and she was thinking, I can be like that. I can become God, perhaps, was in her mind, her thinking. Well, again, the devil is very skillful in his ploys, in the way that he leads us into temptation, telling us half-truths, insinuations, and outright lies. Well, when she ate the fruit of that forbidden tree, she came to know good and evil, but she was not God, and she was not like God in the ways that she probably expected to happen. Good and evil. Yes, all of a sudden, She changed, and her husband changed through her leading him to eat of the same forbidden fruit, both of them succumbing to the temptations that the devil placed before them. And when they ate of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that moment, on that day, everything changed everything changed. Now, think about what happened first. In verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Oh, they knew that they were naked? You see, at the end of chapter 2, verse 25, after God had brought the woman to the man and he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she was identified as the man's wife. Verse 25 says that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Why were they not ashamed to both be naked together? Because they were innocent. There was no sin in their life. There was no, there was no reality of sin or consciousness of sin. They had never sinned. There was no sin in the world at that time. 
But now, verse 6 of chapter 3, when they ate the fruit that God told them not to eat, they disobeyed God, they rebelled against him, and they became sinners. And now they saw everything through new lenses, with a new reality. And in verse 7, the innocence was gone. They were sinners. And they were ashamed of their nakedness. In stark contrast to the way it had been. And they covered themselves. Now that was the first obvious reality and result of their sin. Everything changed that day. Now as we continue this particular study, we're going to see that, oh, a whole lot more happened as a result of that change. And a whole lot more would happen in their future. I've wondered how Adam must have looked back on that day maybe a thousand times and was saddened, perhaps tears coming to his eyes because he realized what he had done that had changed the world so horribly bringing the reality of sin and all of its consequences into the existence of mankind. We all need forgiveness. Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we have the opportunity to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Now in just a moment we'll tell you how to contact us jot down that information, and ask for the free Bible study. It will help you come to understand how you can be forgiven, how you can be saved, how you can be redeemed, how you can have eternal life with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in heaven. We hope to hear from you right away.